welcome to Season 2 of Breaking Free. I'm Rania Kurdi, a confidence life coach, comedian and mother of two. I invite you to join me bi-weekly for confidence tips and interesting chats with my guests who work in fields that help develop confidence. And sometimes with people who have a personal story to share of how they were able to break free from fears that held them back from living their life with confidence and purpose. My guest today is Katie Hart. She's passionate about providing insight into our brains and using that knowledge to help people understand themselves better. She's been running her own neuromarketing business for almost 14 years now, working with clients such as Dove, Honda and Lloyds Bank in that time. She's recently completed her MSc in Applied Neuroscience and is a well-known speaker both nationally and internationally on ways neuroscience can be applied within marketing. Hi, Katie. How are you? Hello. I'm very well, thank you. Lovely to be here. Lovely to have you and congratulations on your MSc in Applied Neuroscience. I had to look that up, by the way. (laughs) Oh, there was lots of things I had to look up. Don't worry. Oh, I wanted to know what that entails. I was like, oh. Well, it's, yeah, thank you for the congratulations. It's, um... I've absolutely loved doing it. It's been a long time since I've done any formal study, but neuroscience is just emerging at such a fast pace that I really felt, I, you know, in order to be credible and authoritative in this field, I've got to really keep my finger on the pulse. So, yeah, about two and a half years ago, I decided right back to school I go. And um, yeah, actually, I'm amazed at how quickly it went. So I suppose that's always a good sign that you're enjoying things, isn't it? Yes. And how, how did you manage that with two daughters? They're eight, <laughs> eight and 12, right? Yeah, they are. Yeah, and lockdown and homeschooling. And um, my husband's a farmer, so he has huge seasonality in whether he's there and available for childcare or whether he's just in a, you know, mm. in a tractor in a field on his own for 20 hours a day. So, yeah, there were there were some tricky moments along the way. I'm sure if you asked my two daughters how I managed it, they would give you a much more candid answer. But but we got there <laughs> one module at a time. We got through it. And, you know, yeah. the serious answer to your question is um, I'm a nauseatingly morning person. So I would get up at sort of half four in the morning and I would do two, two and a half hours worth of study every day before anybody else in my house got up. So by the time everybody else got up, I knew that I'd I'd done what I wanted to do for me for for my studies at least and so then I could be much more present and and tolerant of other people and what they needed from me. That's amazing and I'm just trying to imagine the relationship you know you both interested in things that are so opposite. We totally are and if you can work it out I'd love to know because we've actually been together for 30 years so we got together when I was only 16 so you know we've both done a lot of changing in that time and yet it really seems to work. I mean, we we both do our own thing. Um, and as you say, they are very different things. But at the same time, we, we come back together again and we're always full of exciting tales of what we've discovered or what we've seen or where we've been and things like that. So, yeah, we are very different people with very different interests in our lives. And yet at, at, you know, at the base level, it seems to seems to work. Fingers crossed, touch wood. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to come back to that after I um, talk to you a little bit more about the masculine and feminine. And um, I'd like to know that once you started understanding that within your work and your field, did it change your relationship to 
the better even? Or had you already sort of sussed a natural way of of communicating and getting along. So just to explain to listeners what it is I'm talking about and how we met. We met um, on International Women's Day where we were both asked by Enlivened to give a talk. I chose to speak about how masculine and feminine energies affects our life and relationships and you truly educated us about how the masculine and feminine brains respond to things differently and how important it is to know that when you're marketing something. So could you share some of that amazing knowledge on Breaking Free today, Katie? Absolutely, be delighted. Um, so yes, I mean, that that really is what got me interested in neuroscience in the first place. What, your husband? I, <laughs> yeah, not, not being able to understand him. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, predominantly it's marketing. So I um, have spent years working in marketing. And there was a, uh, prior to that, there was a time where I studied psychology and I used to teach psychology evening classes as well. So there's always been this sort of passion for understanding people and why we do the things we do. And um, it, it's almost embarrassing to admit it now, but um, I know that you know science, uh, psychology is defined as the science of mind and behaviour. And I would literally go and teach psychology evening class to students. And um, the next day I would get up and go to work in marketing. And I never really joined the two together, which as I say, I just mm. am so embarrassed to admit that now. However, there was one point in my career where I um, was at a crossroads and I wasn't quite sure where I wanted to go, what I was doing next. And so I looked back and thought, well, what have I enjoyed in the past? And I found myself literally thinking, do I go back to marketing? Do I go back to, you know, to that industry which I loved and which feeds that creativity in me? Or do I go back to psychology and the science and the people and the understanding? And thankfully, at that moment, there was a, a light came on somewhere moment. and I read yeah, yeah thank goodness eventually the penny dropped and um I did what you know we all do I sort of googled it and thought oh hang on is this a is this a thing and was so excited by what I saw I mean this is 15 you know 15 years ago nearly now so there was very little information out there but what there was just fed my soul it, talking of you know light bulb and aha moments yes. it just lit something in me and then when I started looking into it, one of the first things I came across was this concept of gender difference. And um, in particular in marketing, how most of the marketing campaigns that we talk about and that we see and that we are taught when we learn marketing skills are inherently directed towards what we now think of as being the, the more masculine brain. So, um, we use words like marketing campaigns. I've just used it. We talk about marketing strategy and tactics. And all of these feed that more masculine brain who likes to have rules, who thinks about things in terms of, of gangs and tribes and um, battles and conflicts. And it's a very different world for female brains. So when you start looking at the way we've done marketing and realizing that actually that is only serving half of our population at best and actually now because of the societies we live in that half that it's serving is no longer the half that typically makes most of the purchasing decisions anymore mm. they just felt like there was this huge opportunity and this this huge sort of gap that was opening up that I just wanted to know and understand more about yes 
Um, so, Katie, can I just clarify here? When we say masculine or feminine or female or male, um, can you have a masculine brain even though you're a female? Because when I talked about energies, it had nothing to do with gender. When we're talking about brains and marketing to males and females, does it? Is it about gender? No, I mean it's when you look back at things, there is a physiological basis for it. So yes, when we look at the way the brain evolves and how it um, how it becomes established in the in the fetus as it grows within the womb, yes, we can see lots of changes which happen as that that fetus is either flooded with testosterone or or not if it's going to be female, but that is that's a bit like the sort of the the wiring that goes on and there is a huge amount that um, our brains can do and change as a result of neuroplasticity so we can absolutely find that we've got people who have very feminine brains in masculine bodies and vice versa and actually so typically what we tend to do is not really use the labels masculine and feminine but we talk about uh, the achievement impulse which is the in inverted commas masculine one and the utopian impulse which is in inverted commas the the more feminine one so yes i mean really what we're talking about are two extreme ends of a spectrum and most of us will be somewhere on that spectrum and even our position on that spectrum will change so we may be more um more achievement or more masculine based if we're in a, a sales environment at work where we feel that that's what we've got to do to succeed and yet when we get home we may shrug some of that off and be more of the, the sort of utopian feminine brain. Mm. So would it affect your decision making and how you see things if you suddenly started taking steroids and you had more testosterone or if you started going on the pill and you had more estrogen I mean does that affect absolutely I mean there's there are the huge pieces of research going on all the time as I say neuroscience is um, is emerging very quickly but there is still a lot that we don't fully understand and we are still trying to learn about but we mm. absolutely know that the role of hormones is is very significant within our brain so yes I mean the the release of testosterone even within the levels that we naturally have within our system if if as a as a feminine or as a utopian brain we are put under situations where uh, more testosterone is released it does change the way we the way we see things the way we make decisions we become more rash and we make more risky decisions than we naturally would do so yeah totally there there are huge effects that can be had as a result of some of these yes it's unhealthy and you're not in control but it it's interesting to see that it can just sort of chemically change how you feel about things and how you go about things you know there's a huge amount of things that we've learned about our brain and ways to to work better with it and to support it more that actually will yes. enable you to 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 work with it rather than sort of try and contain it or change it as as pills often do. So can you share some of the differences and you know if we need more of the other how can we develop that? Okay so if we think about um, the differences uh, most of these come from our physiological past so our sort of evolutionary past really. Um, I often use the phrase that we are running on caveman software because we as human beings mm. are beautifully adapted. We've evolved in an incredibly complex way 
but we aren't really fit for purpose for the lives that we lead today. We are much more equipped for a life we were probably leading 15 or 20,000 years ago. So physiologically, our brain is, is trying to do its best. It's trying to serve as well. Some of the things that it has at its absolute core are, are very um, significant in terms of a lot of the decisions it makes for us. So things like survival, you know, it wants to protect us, it wants to keep us safe. Um, also, there's a, a sort of procreation. We want to pass our genes on. And that is one of the things that fundamentally changes depending on whether we've got the achievement impulse or the utopian impulse at play within our brain. So if you think about it, if you were a male caveman, um, the best way for you to pass most of your genes on and for your line to survive would be to have lots of children. You know, the, the further you can scatter your seeds and the more of them you can scatter, the better. Um, and so in order for them to have those opportunities, they would have wanted to be that kind of alpha male, you know, that, that top person in the tribe or in the, in the culture that they were in. So they then had their pick of how many people they wanted. They had the most opportunities. Conversely, females in, in that sort of era knew that actually for them to have high volumes of children was going to be extremely detrimental to them physiologically because of how long it takes to raise children and you know, what it does to our systems. So they knew that actually the best chance of them raising children and passing genes on to further generations is actually to really look after and um, nurture however many children they do have. So right from the outset, you've got quite competing, quite conflicting strategies. So the achievement one is about competition. It's about getting to that alpha male status. It's about showing that you are better than other people. And that's often what we see a lot of in male brains. And male focused marketing is about being the best, the top. And that's fine. If you're, if you're communicating to achievement brains, that's absolutely fine. That's what they want to see. However, that's not going to work for the utopian brains, because if I'm, if I'm saying that I'm the top, I'm the best, actually, that's going to be at the detriment of other people. And as the name suggests, the utopian impulse is much more about creating a utopia where it's the best for everybody. It's not just about me solely on my own. So um, straight away, some of those decisions that we take are originating from those different evolutionary strategies that we would have had thousands of years ago. So these are the kind of things that play out in the way we do the way we do marketing, the way we live our lives today, all of us. Um, so as I say, the achievement brains, the more masculine brains like to have games that have rules because when you know the rules you understand what you've got to do to win and if you win you get to move up the up the rank up the hierarchy so that's where things like strategies and campaigns and tactics really talk to that achievement-based brain um, and very often they use status symbols to show other people where they are in that hierarchy so it might be the car you drive or the fact you've got the latest iphone or it might be um, you know, what's written down the side of your glasses that tells other people what your status is. Watches seem to be a huge thing for, for a lot of men. You know, having a really yes. big, quite ostentatious watch that is a huge status about, you know, where they are in that hierarchy. 
Now, a lot of those things don't really interest the, um, the utopian brain. They're not, they're not incentivized in that same way. So they are looking for things that are much more likely to improve their surroundings. So either improve themselves or improve the relationships they have with other people. So if we were trying to nurture children and raise them, we know we needed other people. So again, it's much more likely that the utopian brain will really value those relationships and those, those connections and pay attention to the sort of small details in that. So very often it's the utopian brains who remember the birthdays and anniversaries and do the little notes that, you know, send a, a message of encouragement to someone on the day of their exam or those little things that can be perceived as being quite frivolous, but actually as a utopian brain, we're constantly trying to build and reaffirm that connection and those relationships and boost other people as well. Um, and one of the really interesting areas is when you look at attitudes to risk. So the utopian brain is constantly trying to anticipate pitfalls, trying to avoid risks, trying to um, you know, be several steps ahead and try and please everybody in the process of that. I mean, I know um, regularly in our house, you're just thinking about what are we going to eat tomorrow night? You know, and you think, oh, we could do you know I could do fajitas oh well you know Lottie doesn't want anything too spicy because she's going out with her friend that night well let's not do fajitas let's do yeah. and you think through all the options and you're trying to please everybody you're, you're trying to avoid yeah. offending anyone or trying to you know make sure everybody's equally happy and it's exhausting to try and achieve that um, but we mm. we do we can anticipate these risks we anticipate that other people will be unhappy and we try to mitigate against that. And I think that's what a lot of us do in our lives and in business as well, is we, you know, we tend to play it small because we, we are sort of overthinking it. We're projecting ahead about how other people might respond and we don't want to upset or offend. And so we, you know, we don't make waves and we don't make ripples. Whereas the achievement brain doesn't care, doesn't even think about it. You know, they're not looking behind them. They're focused on where they're going. And so their attitude can be incredibly different. Then they're not worried about the details of what they leave in their wake. They're focused on the headlines and, and you know, they are really going for it in terms of working their way up that, that hierarchy towards that alpha status at the top. Which is why couples argue a lot and feel, you know, dissatisfied in their relationship if one is, you know, very utopian and the other is an achiever. So would you recommend that... Achiever has a relationship with an achiever and utopian with utopian or not necessarily? Or is the ideal that we balance our brain somehow to be a little bit of both and not too much of one? I think, um, I mean, I was cringing at the prospect of, a, of an achiever with an achiever because, you know, if, if they were both yes. trying to, striving to achieve I the know. same thing, firstly, you'd have competition, which not many relationships would survive yeah. that. If they were pulling in different directions, again, I think that would be that would be quite dangerous. And because of the way achievement brains work, they don't notice the details. They don't pay attention to the small stuff. And if you're in a relationship which is two achievers, there are a lot of <laughs> there are a lot of things that will slip by mm. the wayside. So it would be quite a it would be incredibly intense. It would be um, I suspect it would be absolutely exhausting and quite um quite destructive for, to have two 
to people who are you know at the top end of that achievement yes. um, impulse together but it's also upsetting when you're a utopian and you're doing all these little thoughtful things and thinking on behalf of everybody and it's not being Absolutely. appreciated and you don't get the same back so what is the I'm not. Um, how does it work with you? Well, I was just going to say, I mean, you asked me earlier about how how this has yes. helped us. And he is. I mean, he's yeah. a he's a farmer, so he's a very physical, you know, he is a he's quite driven. I wouldn't say he's top of that spectrum, but he's definitely far more achievement and he is utopian. Um and I think mm. what it's is he competitive about how big his tractor is instead of the watch? Like, it does, how and work? how straight he drills his crops. You know, they've got to be the best in the district. And when he's driving around, looking over the hedge at other people's, you know, they, they rarely come Ooh. up come up well in that comparison. Yes, but I think what it's yes. done is it's helped me to to understand actually that this is this is fundamentally who he is, and you know, therefore I don't try and change him anymore <laughs> I don't you know <laughs> anymore when did you stop um, trying probably, yeah when I really started to see that this is who he is and this is how he's wired and actually you know I love him yes. for that and if if he became more utopian then actually he would lose some of that you know, some of that achievement and I think it yes. really is hard for a, a lot of men you know we as as women we tend to um, try to um, make our men feel that they've got to be strong and capable and confident and handle everything and and at the same time we want them mm. to be sensitive parents and to be you know attentive lovers and and actually that's a big ask for somebody all in the same package it's not just a, a switch that you can flick on and off yes and we can be demanding of our children trying to change them thinking always that it's for their own good and for our partner's own good that we're, you know, trying to help them have these yeah. other qualities. And I think that's where the conflict usually lies. If you just sort of accept and look at what is good and how probably that balance is working better than trying to change someone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's certainly what, what happened for us. Um, and, you know, I do, I celebrate our differences. You know, I believe that we are equal, mm. but we are completely different. And and I think that the balance is that key word that you just used. It's about in some moments, we need my husband to take the initiative and to use more of that achievement impulse that he's got. And there are other times when we need that to be dialed down a bit and we need the the utopian element that that I bring more of to the relationship. And and, you know, yes. it really is being more clear about where where you are, what you bring to that relationship and celebrating the fact that actually I would I would never want to be in a relationship with someone who's the mirror image of me because that would <laughs> that would be infuriating mm. and probably um, frustrating as well. Um, and actually, you know, the whole reason that we are together and have been together as long as we have is because we do bring very different elements to to the relationship. And now, you know, as parents, we have very different different approaches that that you know both of our girls I'm sure they're already working the system and choosing whether they talk to mummy about something or talk to daddy about it you know they they know <laughs> yes <laughs> yes but uh, I'm curious I'm sorry I'm using your marriage as a as an example but I think it's easier to understand um 
the whole energy and dynamic is I'm thinking you have a lot of achievement um, as well. So your brain must have a mix of both, which must make it easier. Otherwise, you wouldn't have these degrees. You wouldn't be working in the field that you're working in. So does it help, do you think, that you're not fully utopian and you have a little bit of achievement? I think it probably does. Um, but actually, I've probably not got as much achievement in me as you might think, because actually when you when you ask or if if I stop and think about why I've done the degrees and the, the study and my own business and things like that, it's a lot about actually utopian principles so it's about me wanting to um be a good role model for my girls and to show them that they can do anything they want and they can be anything they like and you know a passion for never stopping learning always being curious and and those are very utopian so it's not about me doing that Mm. so that I'm seen to be the best or better or um you know for my own gratification or my own ego which is much more of what the the achievement impulse would would have as their motivation for doing things. Yeah, so it's interesting to look at the motivation and the drive behind why someone absolutely achieving. It could be totally yeah. different. Um, yeah, yeah, I and very often, I mean, when you look at the people who are successful in business, business or politics. You know, there are polar opposites of the reasons why they're there, and yeah, you know, some of the, the mm. female leaders have a much lower profile and you know they are they've worked their way up they are genuinely there to try and make a difference and to create fundamental change within their their countries or within their organization whereas you know sometimes the achievement impulse once it once it achieves pardon the pun that that level of of power and profile some of the some of the true colors shine through about actually you know why why they are there and you know you've got all this opportunity now to Mm. to create change and surprise surprise the achievement impulse isn't quite so interested in doing that yeah so in marketing how do you market differently than knowing this knowing that you've got achiever mind and and that achiever mind could be in a female or male so how do you target it's about really understanding that that motivation. So why, you know, what is it that your product or your service offers? You know, are you are you there to facilitate people in terms of their progression and their development? Are you there to provide something which is going to um, give more aesthetic benefit? Uh, once you understand actually what the the sort of primary reason for people purchasing from you is then you can start to look at actually what we need to do to to engage with them so in most instances the organizations that I work with I would advocate that you don't do an extreme achievement or an extreme utopian approach Um, in some instances that works so um, for instance if you are um, providing a service which only works with Um, females and you know in particular environments for those females then you may want to to really dial up that utopian impulse but for most people the the sort of standard approach is much more achievement so very often what we want to do is actually introduce more elements which are utopian based now the achievement brains won't notice 
you know, they won't switch off, they won't walk away because they are usually looking at the headlines, they aren't paying attention to the details. So actually they are quite easy to keep along with us on that journey. The utopian ones, however, really need to see that something fits and that it sits well. So they want to, um, to work with organizations who have, have a sort of purpose that have a social purpose or that they feel are going to at least not be negative they're not going to do harm either to the environment or to other people so again it's this sense of i don't want to raise my own situational status if that means i'm actually going to um, push other people down that hierarchy if, if i'm actually going to hurt or offend other people so very often when we look at marketing, there are techniques we can use. So things like bullet points play beautifully to that achievement impulse. Just cut to the chase, give me the headlines, you know, show me, show me what I need quickly. Whereas the utopian impulse likes to, likes to feel it's much more emotional. So they prefer case studies, they prefer endorsements, um, testimonials, where they, they can create that real empathy and get some of that connection um, that they work hard to achieve. So they get to feel much more about the organization. Um, it's partly about the colors we use. It's about the images you select. I mean, it literally, it's even into fonts. You can even learn a lot about the way the brain sees fonts differently. So it's, it really is touching every aspect of, of what we write. So that the language, yeah. the words we use. So again, achievement is much more about that that sort of rational cognitive um much more thinking mode whereas the utopian is much more feeling and and values and more emotional language i'm beginning to think is that why sales pages are so long <laughs> because really there should be two <laughs> they're, pages they're targeting yeah. utopian <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I do feel that I'm utopian and it's all about connection and emotion and feelings. But I also have that more masculine, I call it, I don't know about achiever, in that I'm just like, oh, get to the point and just give me bullet points. You know, I don't want to read all about yeah. it. I make a decision and take a risk. And so it's kind of a bit of both. And, and most of us are. I mean, that's why, as I say, that when I'm working with clients, I rarely suggest it's it's at the outer ends of that spectrum at all, because most of us will have traces of both. So if you've got the right information, which is being presented to you in a way that you are engaged with and that you feel a connection to, you will tolerate a lot more of that information before you reach that threshold of just cut to the chase. Just where do I sign? Just, you know, just tell me how much it's going to cost me. Whereas actually, if you are in a more achievement mindset or if you're if you're busy, if you're stressed. So, you know, then obviously things like your cortisol levels will be increasing. Um, and then in those instances, again, you'll be much more likely to revert into your achiever brain and just say, cut to the chase, bullet points, hit me with it. Haven't got time for any fluff or waffle around the outside of this. Just make my decision and then move on from it. Mm. And I remember in the talk, you said how the the notices that were put up for wearing a mask during COVID spoke to men more than women or vice versa. How How is that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So this was some research that I did um, where I actually brought participants into the office and put a headset on them, which scans their brain activity. So instead of just asking people, do you like this? How do you feel when you see that? Which is the sort of conventional market research. What we can actually do and do a lot of in neuromarketing is bypass all of that because we realize that actually only about 10% of what goes into making our purchasing decisions is information that we are consciously aware of. So we can actually use physiological measures which tell us far more information about that 90%, that vast majority of unconscious information which goes into making those decisions. So yes, I brought people into the office. We put um, an electroencephalography hat on them, which is, um, you've probably seen them. It's a bit like a sort of swimming hat that's covered in sensors. Yeah. And some of the information we presented was the, um, the government's standard messaging that they gave out for um, the lockdown. So we had um, uh, hands, face, space was one of them. We also tested out the eat out to help out logo, which came towards the end as the hospitality industry opened up again. And we had the stay at home, save lives, protect the NHS was the yes. other one that we looked at as well. And yes, it was really, really prominent, really um, easy to detect that actually when you look at the demographics of the people who came in to do that research, the males were perfectly happy, really well engaged with that stay at home, save lives, protect the NHS one. And I don't know if you can recall it, but it was bright yellow yeah. and it had... Um, you know, those sort of yellow and black hazard tape that you get around. It had that as a board around the outside and it was all written in capitals. Um, and there were sort of red arrows that came in as well as breaking the, the three pieces of text up. And all of this serves the male brain or the achievement brain beautifully because it's strong primary colours or if they're not primary colours, they're very dark colours, which is what the male brain likes. Um, the font was, well, first it's in capitals, so that's really clear and crisp and easy to attract attention. Um, and it's all about, you know, protection. And it's, you know, it spoke to that, you know, that instinct that, that they have. Whereas when the male brains looked at the eat out to help out, which was a much softer font, it was quite um, curvy. It was in blue and red written on a white background. So there was lots of white space around it. Help, you know, help isn't an achievement brain word. Help is much more utopian. Um, so, yeah, we could literally see that their brains responded totally differently. And conversely, the females were disconnected and disengaged from the stay at home, save lives message didn't resonate with them at all. Right. Because the because the other two, I was totally guessing that they would be utopian and that they would speak to a more female brain. Um, until you mentioned the fonts and the colours. And I was wondering if we just heard the wording and we didn't have those fonts, colours, arrows, um, if it would have been different. Because I felt it was very utopian to say, um, stay home and keep the NHS safe. Or what was it? Protect. Protect. Yeah, there are traces in that. But again, stay home. It's an order. It's an instruction. It's a command. Whereas, as you just phrased it, stay at home is much softer. Mm. So 
um, these tiny little shifts that we can create when we're when we're writing these resources do have a, a really powerful impact. And that's I mean that's one of the things that I've really learned since studying neuroscience is that although we aren't aware of a lot of this, the impact is massive. So um, I often quote uh, a case that was in the Tokyo subway, their sort of underground system. Um, they changed the lighting from being a kind of normal fluorescent, slightly yellowish light into a blue based light. And that is the only change that they made. And what they recorded as a result of making that change was a 74% reduction in suicides on the metro system. My goodness. Just because the, the way that the brain receives blue wavelength light is totally different. It's a very calming light. It stops you doing things on impulse whereas actually the opposite end, the, the red wavelengths are much more impulsive. And so they tend to be why we use them for fast food chains, mm. people like that, where they want to stimulate you. They want your appetite heightened and they want you to, you know, eat quickly and, and move on. You'd think them discovering that would make a change worldwide, you know, that discovery, like get rid of those yellow lights. Absolutely. It, it, when you start to see the power that we can have, and it mm. is a fine line because, you know, none of us want to be manipulated. Um, so, you know, actually there is always an ethical debate in neuromarketing about how far we go because we do have this information about things that are more likely to stimulate action or are more likely to create different behaviours. But, you know, there is a responsibility we have about where we draw the line with with being able to use yes. that. But we are manipulated. So I think do something for our mental health and give us that blue light, for heaven's a sake. Absolutely. Yeah. And there are so many examples of things that we could do, which would which would really have significant effects like that. Yes. And, and look at that one tiny little word making a difference. Stay at home or stay home. Yeah. It is also in relationships when you talk to someone, how you talk to someone, how it makes them defensive or not. Yes. You don't really realise that little word you've taken away or added or stay at home, my lovely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, imagine that on a poster. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, yeah. I mean, it's very often, I mean, one of the things that I love about neuromarketing is the fact that actually this information, the way it's processed in the brain, it all starts from the way our eyes are structured are actually the way that um, masculine brains and feminine brains see the world is different. So, mm. you know, perception is something that's very personal to all of us. We, I can't ever know what or how you see the world and whether when I see something that's red, it's the same experience that you have. But what we've learned is that actually the structure of our eye means that we are seeing things differently. And this was a this was a real breakthrough for us in our, our home environment as well. So when we think about um, going back to our caveman past, what we learn is that the the masculine or the achievers eye is beautifully designed to serve them in that environment. So if you can imagine that typically the males would have gone out in small groups, they would have gone out with weapons and they would have you know, hunted down animals. So they would have been able to detect animals in their environment and shut out a lot of what was going on in the periphery and focus on the, the hunt and ultimately, hopefully, the achievement of being able to successfully track that creature down and, and bring it back. 
Conversely, the females who would have been um, in a much bigger group and they would have had that nurturing role. So it would have had you know, huge differences in terms of ages of people who were in that group and the caring responsibilities. Their eyes are structured quite differently. So actually, whereas the, the male eye is designed to focus on something in the middle of its visual field and block out lots of what's going on around it, the female eye has lots more rods and cones, which are the photoreceptors around the outside of its visual field on the retina. So it is much more aware of the peripheral vision than the male eye is. So I always mm. say in terms of marketing, it's much easier to get the attention of a female eye because anything in their peripheral vision, you know, you can very easily draw their attention, but it's really hard to keep it. Whereas with a male eye, it's much harder to get their attention. But when actually they are looking at your copy or at your landing page, you know, there can be all sorts of things going off in, in their environment around them and they just aren't aware of it. Yes. And as I say, we all have, you know, at home, I often use my husband as an example of, you know, someone who can stand in front of the fridge and say, where's the butter? and not see it even though it's in the fridge and it's yes. there in plain sight if he's not where are my socks where are the tissues exactly where are the car keys if it's not in his <laughs> in the middle of his visual field he's literally not seeing it so things like that have also helped yes. us to <laughs> to find a way of living together uh, and that's why it's really annoying when they're watching tv and you're talking to them or asking them a question they just don't hear you it's because exactly. they're totally focused yeah and yeah, I can see how the utopian brain needs to have her eye on the crawling child who might fall down the stairs, on the other kid that's, you know, trying to eat and making a mess, on Absolutely. the delivery man that's coming. Yeah, you've yeah. got to. Mm. So, yeah, again, right from that moment of when we're creating marketing materials or, you know, when we are engaging with people in our world around us, the message and the way that message is received within the brain right from that first light being received on the back of our eyes, it's it's different. So, yes. yeah, it's it's a world full of excitement and opportunities. And I could talk to you all day about it all day, Katie. So I'd like to wrap it up with how do you work with people? If people want to work with you on their marketing or, or what is it exactly that you help with and how? Of course, I'll have in the notes all your tags and links and um, everything of how to find you. But can you give us an idea of how you can actually work with someone on this? Absolutely. Yeah, thank you very much. So, yes, there are lots of different ways that, that I work with people. Um, probably the biggest, the top end is when I do research um, on behalf of organisations. So I've just recently done some for Dove, looking at what is going on inside people's brains as they view um, some potential marketing campaigns that they want to release in the autumn. Um, now, those are very exciting and very bespoke, but are obviously not, not most people's entry point either, because they, they can also be quite expensive. Um, so I then do lots of training and I, I try to spread the word about neuromarketing and and really spread the passion for neuroscience and applying it to business situations. And I either do that going into an organization and working with their team in house or also I do courses that, that just individuals can sign up to and come along and attend and and get to learn the basics about neuromarketing and and start to take it away and apply it in their own business situations. Fantastic. Fantastic, Katie. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and being here today. Thank you. You're very welcome. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Breaking Free, please share it with your friends or on your social media platforms. And of course, I'd really love it if you can subscribe, rate or review the show. You can reach me directly at raniacurdy.com if you would like to ask a question, comment on what you heard today or find out how I can support you on your journey.